Hello, welcome to the edited version of Josie and Robin's Book Shambles. If you'd like to hear the full version of this conversation, then you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash bookshambles and become one of our Patreon supporters, uh, which you can do for as little as $1 an episode. That's one US dollar, and obviously it will depend on which of our economies is declining more, uh, how much that actually works out in pounds, uh, euros, etc. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the first Book Shambles episode of 2019. A big thank you to you, all our listeners, and especially our Patreon supporters from myself and Robin and Josie and Melinda and everyone at Cosmic Shambles. For all your support throughout 2018, whether that's been financially through our Patreon or just by word of mouth or sharing the podcasts online, on your Facebooks and Twitter and all that sort of stuff, or coming along to one of the live gigs, telling your friends, uh, we really appreciate it. We wouldn't uh, be able to make any of the stuff we do without your support. So we've got lots of big things planned for 2019. So we look forward to sharing all of those with you and your continued support and enthusiasm uh, in whatever form that takes is what makes it all possible. So thank you once again, And thank you for all the lovely comments you've sent us over the Christmas New Year period. We were tweeting out lots of stuff we've been up to this year on the shambles, hashtag shambles2018. So thank you for all your comments there, especially on uh, the short film of Robin's poem, Sandman Hugs and Final Dens, that we put up uh, on Christmas Eve. And from all the people who got a copy of I'm a Joke and So Are You for Christmas, Robin's book, We hope you're enjoying that. And now on to this week's episode. Uh, Robin and Josie have both been guests on Rahulastapa, so we felt it was high time that we got Richard Herring as a guest on Book Shambles. So we hope you enjoy this chat. This could be your last chance to dance before the nuclear apocalypse, I think, was one of it was like 1980 when they played the, I think, the railway in in, uh, Hampstead. There's a recording of that. Right. Just the man at CNA. I mean, a great. They're one of my first favourite bands. Yeah. Well, I like. See, I really like Terry Hall's 1994 album, Home, which it got to 98 in the chart, and n- nothing happened with. Well, he had an interesting mix of. Uh, yeah. Hello, welcome to uh, Josie and Robin's book shambles. Uh, Josie's a little bit delayed. Uh, we're recording this on uh, a day where the uh, infrastructure, the rail infrastructure uh, around London, has, has collapsed. And um, also, we have a very special guest oh. uh, as this is being recorded on International <laughs> Men's Day. It is, of course, the uh, probably one of the greatest cheerleaders of I International am. Men's Day, Richard Herring. Hello, international man. <laughs> I am a man. I'm an as an international man, Richard. <laughs> The um, well, the first actually, because well, we we we're currently battling it out on uh, certain kind of uh, internet book charts. Yes, uh, in the jokes and riddles section, yes. uh, which is uh, my, 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 my my book has been um, on Kindle. They've done one of those. Promos yeah, but I actually bought it on Kindle. I was waiting to buy it, and then it came down to one pound fifty. I thought, oh, I'll get that. Yeah, I'll get that. That's, uh, <laughs> even even if I only enjoy the forward by the other person, that'll be all right. But uh, I love the, this peculiarity of of uh, of the charts it's in. So yeah. currently, this morning when we we're recording this, my book is number one in psychology textbooks, art <laughs> criticism, uh, and jokes and riddles. Yeah, and uh, and I'm glad to say, did not Quentin Letts's aren't people awful if they've uh, awful people uh his book from number one on okay. the humorous 
essays by arseholes section, which well, I'm also high up in. You sort of realise pretty quickly that the Amazon chart, probably apart from the top ten, is fairly meaningless because you get up to so you move up between you know, two thousand and three hundred, and it seems to be some one person's point. Well, yeah, I, I I would say probably from about <laughs> number well about number ninety eight mm. to about number four hundred and twelve thousand. Yeah, it could just be the difference of three books. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think it really is. So it's not. Uh, yeah, you've got to be in the top ten. You know, ten, and then you're laughing, like our friend uh, Adam, who's been at the top of the uh, the charts with his fantastic NHS book. Adam K. Adam yeah. K. Yeah, he's. Uh, been there for six months or something and sold 500 million copies of his book or something like that. It's, it's, it's a that nice, it's a relief, isn't it, where you go <laughs> that, uh, because last night uh, the, um, there was, you know, you see these things where Jordan Peterson now sells out the Hammersmith Apollo yes. and it's nice to see that Adam Kay can also yes. sell out the Hammersmith it Apollo nice. and uh, and throw in a matinee. My, my favourite uh, chart position that I saw was that Susan Kalman's new book about just trying to be happier because her first one was talking about her own kind of mental health. and Yes. This one is now about, about trying to be to be more uh, ebullient, and uh, her book was number one in the Glasgow Tourist Guide uh, <laughs> chart. And I think if if you just decided to judge on what tourist guide you needed by chart positions, yes, I think a lot of people are going to find they're not going to find no. you know themselves. You know, where is Socky Hall Street? I don't know <laughs> because th- this chapter about Strictly Ballroom or Strictly Come Dancing, whatever it's called, yeah. is not helping. No. So, Rich, you, you're, first of all, we'll just do the uh, um, plug-in of your new book. Yes. It's Emergency Questions. Emergency Questions, a thousand, I don't even know what it's called officially, it's a thousand and one questions to save any conversation or something like that. But yeah, it's based on my Emergency Questions uh, and the Emergency Questions books we've done ourselves out of uh, Rich Shanks' Leicester Square Theatre podcast. So it got picked up by a pub prob. We did a couple of, last year for like Kickstarter things and they were phenomenally popular. Um, given that we did no publicity for them. But, you know, I think people, because you give out free podcasts, people are very keen to find a way to pay you back while still getting something else. <laughs> and uh, and so we did very well with the, with the ones we printed ourselves. I don't know quite how well this one's going. It's been in the top a thousand. It's done very well in yeah. the Jokes and Riddles <laughs> yeah, chart, has, as you been, know. It's been right up there. But then you're also, you know, there's one, there's, there's a book called 52 Things to Learn on the Toilet by Hugh Jasburn, which is constantly ahead of me in that chart. So you kind of think, well, you know, as much respect as I have for Hugh, and I did buy his book because we had a bit of uh, Twitter badinage, um, you know, that sort of puts in a bit of perspective. <laughs> yeah, I, well I, I sometimes found that when I was touring with with uh, Professor Brian Cox, and you go, isn't it amazing that science can play venues of this size? And then you see how many nights the psychic mediums are doing, <laughs> yes, and you go, yes. oh, for heaven's sake! <laughs> but you know, is, yes, you have to be happy with what you've got, and uh, I'm delighted. You know, it's lovely to get it picked up by a publisher, and I think they've done a nice job with it. And yes, there's a thousand and one of my stupid questions that I had to sit down. It's not a book you want to read cover to cover, as I did when I proofread it. Uh, it will drive you slightly insane if you read it cover to cover, but you can dip in, you can play it with other people, you can play with yourself on the toilet, I was going to say, but that sounds worse. You can play the book yourself. Well, that's the, the kind of thing you, though, would probably <laughs> would love kind it. of bad energy throw into he would uh, love it. Yes. increased sales. Um, so, yeah, it's been, you know, it's, it's it's really nice. And I think the nice thing about, the, you know, a book like that is you can sell it at the podcasts and, you know, and around the country and stuff. So it's uh, it's nice to have it. Uh, and I hope, well, I, I re- last year I played Richard Osman's. House of, uh, not House of Games book, that's something else, but the uh, World Cup of Everything book. And it was really good fun to play with a group of like family members, not all of whom you know that well, different generations, and just choosing your favourite 
chocolate bars and you know it's a knockout competition basically so there's a book you play which i think the taskmaster book is a similar market this year that alex horn's put together so i'd love to think people will play my book on boxing day and have as much fun as i had with richard osmond's but to be sure buy richard osmond's book because that was, that was well, you, incredibly you, good fun you mentioned richard osmond you, you you've been on uh pointless celebrities yes and uh how many times have you done it now I've done it three times. And you've won once? No, I've come knocked out the first round the first time because uh, um, Rona Cameron said to Pow as a solo artist from the 1980s that got to number one. And obviously oh. they're not a solo artist. So then I took a chance. and Stop the chance. Oh. Don't worry, Josie, we didn't the... say it was your fault. We explained that it was the rail infrastructure. It's good that you came yeah. in because I was just being boring about pointless. Oh, just finding out how badly Richard Herring did at uh, Pointless the Celebrities before <laughs> I told him how I won and was brilliant with Kate I Williams. Was, I went for Brian Ferry, who I thought might have released Jealous Guy on his own. I had a feeling he did. I knew it was definitely 1980. Yeah. It was quite, I just had a blank, really. I had lots of ideas and I discounted Joe Dolce because I thought it was the 70s stupidly, which obviously if I'd thought for a second. Yeah, because of Ultravox. Yeah, and it was really done. obvious that Yeah, match. it was that really, really obvious. obvious uh, and that would have got us through. Nearly anything would have got us through as it turned out. I think John Lennon would probably have got us through and I tried to be too clever. Who was, was your partner on uh, Rona Cameron the first time. She made a terrible mistake, knocked me out. Second time oh. I did, we did better. I got a pointless answer, but I was with Robert Webb. We had to do a country's ending in a vowel or with a vowel in them or something like that. And uh, China. he said Peru or something. Yeah, he said something like China after I got a pointless answer. He got nine. We went into, you know, whatever it's called, face off, where the other team had the same number of points. And then we, we got Who's knocked a out. a Guinea-Bissau. And then the third time, that's a very good one. And the next time, Tivalu, I said, but that was five. That's the second good. time on the on the... On the, what's it called when the monks come in? I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, um, and then I went on with my wife, Catherine Wilkins, the author, children's author, who writes fantastic books, uh, My Best Friend and Other Enemies, uh, who failed to plug her own book on Pointless, so I'll do it for an hour. <laughs> uh, and um, we got through to the last, third round and lost by two points on the Ooh, third question. Against who Rob, won? Robert Lindsay and his daughter. Oh. And it was all very much about positions. Who's Robert Lindsay's daughter? Uh, no one, but it was, a, it was a family Roberta edition. Roberta Lindsay, don't you know? All his children are called <laughs> Robert a, and Roberta. It was, a, it, was a family, no... it was a family edition, so uh, yeah, but she was quite good. But also, if we'd been in there, if they, we had Podium 2, we'd have won. It's one of those <sighs> things where it came I'm never going to go back. I, I well, think... if you've won, don't go back. I don't think I'll be allowed back anyway, because no, Alexander Joe... Armstrong... No, he was Joe a bit Pasquale's won, it, won three pointless trophies. That's what sits in my craw. But I won House of Games, so it's all... What's the House right. of Games? That's Richard Osman's other show over five days. For five days, yeah. So I won four of the five days as well, which is I've done five days days record it in one day, don't they? Just change their shit. They do record it in one day, which makes it harder because you're you've got to really well, you've got to really it's it's like logic and puzzles and stuff, and you've got to really concentrate. And I cut in the fifth one, I completely spaced out about three times. There was something I knew, and 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 then suddenly it was the next question, and I'd had I'd gone into a Silas Marner style catatonic (laughs) trance. I did a celebrity quiz when I was eight and a half months pregnant. Did you? And I went, I did one before, but it was 15 to 1, and I won it. Yes, brilliant. And knocked out Heston Blumenthal. Wow. Thank God. Um, and I can't then, remember we have talked about this in the pre the fifteen to one. Yeah, I want it. Go 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 back and uh, yeah, go there was listen. a previous episode where we, we yeah. discussed it. But this I mean, time if you're not I was on to another show, which I technically am not allowed to talk about because it's not been out yet. But I'll tell you something for free: being eight and a half months pregnant severely impairs your intellect. And if they put you on the fourth chair <laughs> and you've been sat and you haven't had your dinner. You look quite a fool. <laughs> I just kept going, this is like a waking nightmare. <laughs> and, then, and Bradley Walsh was like, come on then, oh, let's that's given, I, think that, I think that might have given away which game we're talking about. Oh. I think you're allowed, you're allowed to mention the game, but not the result. Yeah, I'm not going to okay. say the result, but I am going to say that it was like a waking nightmare yeah. that wouldn't end. <laughs> I did find it, because I, I played your club 
uh, on the same day that I did Pointless Celebrities. Oh, yeah. I said, I mean, the name badge on and everything. Right. And uh, and everyone facts. said, what is it? What What is uh, um How did you go? I went, I'm not allowed to say. Yeah, and then they didn't put it for out years. for like two years. Yeah, the same with me. They didn't put the third one out for a long time. But you wouldn't even say to me as a friend. No. no. Well, that's good. I, I would tell my friends about what had happened. But yeah, you've got to be keep it close to your chest. But I enjoyed <laughs> my son's surprise because my son had decided that uh, it must be that I was probably knocked out the second round because he definitely had found the trophy by now. He would definitely <laughs> found the trophy. And then I was... What, what I was, did you do with the trophy for all I, that I, time? I literally put it in plain sight in its box, oh. knowing that if it's not hidden in any way... So he, uh, so I, I was just flying back from Toronto. Uh, it's back in January. And apparently he, he sat and watched it with my dad. And he just, every round, he went, oh, oh, oh. And, and then, then, you know, the actual, uh, the, the, the shock of the victory. Well, so I'm I, sorry I kept it secret, but it was so I could give my son a lovely surprise. I, I, I hadn't told. Because I ring him all the time. I, yeah. hadn't, I hadn't told my mum and dad about House of Games, which I, I would, only accidentally, I'm surprised I didn't. I don't know how I didn't, because I talked to them every week. And so they were watching it all week on tenterhooks and really excited and worried. So they got that full experience of it. Yeah, so it's good not to tell people, especially if you've done well. But I've, been, I've was, always been yeah. unlucky. I got uh, the highest ever points on Celebrity Mastermind and then was still beaten by the person the next Who time. beat you? Uh, Hilary Kay, who did antiques as, as, as her job and her subject. So oh. I learned all this stuff. You could have done the all, oh, Well, I tried to do uh, penises. And they said, no, you've written a book about that. You can't do that. Um, she did antiques? Yeah. I know, and they they forgot to ring the buzzer for her. I've never experienced anything like. I was counting up how many she had, and she got about. I was on thirty four, I think, and she got to forty. And oh well, you know, hats off. She's won that well. I didn't think how she managed to do that because I only got like two wrong, two or three wrong. And then they there was a, and they came back and they said, oh, she's got thirty five. So, hell. So, if so, the British public aren't angry enough no, with no. John Humphreys yes. for his recent <laughs> helmsmanship well, you know, of the how, Today programme, how how stringently did they measure that time and go back and you know did they work it out? So you know, I'm not going to be bitter about it, but I am very upset about it. Well, what I, I like take it very is... seriously. So it's yeah, um, it's I important. take things like yeah. that deathly seriously. I'm much more serious than life. You know, I think it's important <laughs> to be competitive in games, but not in life. Yes, I totally agree. <laughs> because totally. it's annoying if someone goes on one of those shows is a bit. I mean, Stuart Lee would be like, yeah, I don't really care about winning. I'm not going to try. And that's annoying because then if you beat him, you haven't beaten him because he, he hasn't try, tried. Though. He would try, though. Well, Stuart he did, Lee, your he did subject win is free jazz or something. of Derek Bailey. Uh, what noise <laughs> did Derek Bailey make in 1987? Uh, <laughs> it was. Uh, what noise did he make in 1988? <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. That's uh, 20 points for your Derek Bailey free jazz knowledge. I was trying to think <laughs> what, what did I he would do. do? He did something like that. I don't know what he did. He did something stupid like that. No offence. I'd do Derek the novels Bailey. of Richard Yates. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah. Or no, I did the music of Joanna Newsom. There's no one who could beat me on that. I was well, you're do... not really against anyone on my song. You're only against yourself. Yeah, play myself. Yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, you are against, yeah. Did you? It would be nice. Oh, yeah, they don't, no one to, could beat they, don't have, they don't have to answer those questions. They'd, they'd be answering about something else. Yeah, It'd be great if you or... could choose. The, the, <laughs> that's that's a great version, Mastermind, where you get to choose the special subject of the other people. If you if you win some coin cost or some coin toss or something and coin cost, no, it's not. It wouldn't work. It's foolish. Yeah. I was going to do because I, I I got asked <laughs> this year, but it didn't happen. Sorry. And I was going to do Rick Mail. Thought oh. that'd be a fun one to do yeah, because then I could get. Lots of them wrong, but still just say stupid, you know, things <laughs> yeah. to John Humphreys. Like, you look at you, John Humphreys, swatting away for teacher. Um, 
So let's... Oh, right. Rich Terry, because yes. we're talking about your uh, new, very, uh, I mean, brilliantly selling book uh, in the Jokes and Riddles chart. <laughs> yeah. uh, sometimes ahead of me, not yeah. always. There's a I Jokes mean, and Riddles chart. Oh, well, we're just saying, before you got here, because my book's <laughs> Sorry, been severely up. decreased in price on Kindle, I am currently number one psychology textbook art criticism and jokes and riddles <laughs> <laughs> and Susan Cowman was recently number one in the Glasgow tour guides um, but the uh, what would do you remember the, the, the first comedy books that you loved because when we were growing up there were a lot of uh, yeah no I did you know I, it's part of the reason we worked so hard on ours when we did one for uh, Fist of Fun but, can I um, say yeah. I love that book and I still have it and I, I think did. it's incredible and I used to read it or like between the age of about 14 and 16, I used to read it and laugh out loud <laughs> day on day. And like also what I loved about it was the attention to detail. We did. Absolute, like on the covers, cut like 50 jokes on each cover. Yeah, well, we always felt that. I mean, we were sort of internet, pre-internet really, although we just were on the internet when we started doing this. We had a CompuServe... Uh... <laughs> email address and I think we had a had a web page that Rob Sedgby had put together for us. Uh and uh yeah so I I really loved um Monty Python and not that I suppose not the nine o'clock news might have been the first of those books that came out, the uh not it yeah. was called, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, like a, a joke magazine. that doesn't, you know, should you show that to a child yeah. now, their, their lack of knowledge of the current affairs magazine now yes. will mean they don't quite get yes. some of the iconography exactly. in that. And there was, um, yeah, I remember like we got an award for, you know, a book award and I think you were able to choose a book and I chose the not... 1983 calendar or whatever it was that big there was a book That's with a joke subversive. on every page yeah I was allowed to get away with it and uh, but yeah so I was, those early those were the early ones and Monty Python books I kind of managed I sort of ingested Monty Python via everything except the television show because that was not repeated and wasn't readily available. I think it was repeated once, but quite late at night while I was old enough, you know, not quite old enough. To it's it. funny because I'm exactly the same. Yeah, yeah we're, we're the same, we're about one year between us. Yeah, or whatever. so I ingested and... Monty Python via the LPs and the books. Do you know, I'm the opposite because my dad taped uh, the TV show and so and he wouldn't let us watch Life of Brian because he was very religious. And so we saw Holy Grail like about 10 years after. But when I was between the age of about sort of five and 10... He used to let me watch videos. But he of must the have TV taped show. that in the eighties somehow. I, don't know. There might, there might, I think there was like one repeat, and I think I do, did see. I think there were videos of some of it available once videos. But you know, they, with this we're talking before. Oh yeah, videos. this is. I, was I later. used to record things off the TV on terms. I'm sure Robin did as well onto a tape recorder, so you could learn it the next day. And That's then, and then we did. Yeah. By the time Kick Up the Eighties was on, I would vi- we had a video by then, and I'd video Rick Mail's bits and not any of the rest of it. <laughs> <laughs> I would just wait. <laughs> I didn't want to waste any tape. Who were the other so people wait, on it? Richard Robbie Coltrane. There was there was some good it was people presented by Richard Silk. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. There were some good uh, performers on there, but it wasn't a very good show. Uh, but Rick Mail was doing Kevin Turvey and was amazing. So the books. Well, it was I should say it, it was part of BBC Scotland. There would be a sketch show. There was also one called Laugh. I nearly paid my license fee, yes, that's right. which was also Robbie Coltrane, I yeah. think, and various different. So there would be once a week there would be a sketch show that had been made by BBC Scotland at nine o'clock on a Monday or a Tuesday, right. and Kevin Turvey was because I don't remember Rick Mail on Victoria Wood. No, I don't. Though I've seen all the foot, which was him. He he played this character who was kind of like Cliff Richard. Right. He was this really cool guy who just kind of, you know, wanted to tell you how to treat a lady. Yeah. And it was very different to the kind of manic, you know, aggressive uh, in, 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 and confused intensity of, uh, of, of Vic the Poet or. Because uh, well, you never Turby. see him playing. You only see him playing that other side, really. Well, also Alan Bastard, who was, of course, all slick. And, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. True, true, true. But those Monty Python books were, were they they worked hard on those and they were full of extra jokes and 
So, yeah, so I was going for the records. I did see the film. In the end, I saw the films, and we weren't allowed to go and see Life of Brian, but we did sneak in at some point. Um, was that because of the religious... Yeah, element? my mum and dad didn't want me to go. But, you know, I don't know how much my mum and dad... I was talking about this on my podcast uh, the other day with... Who was that with last week? Oh, how my memory doesn't work anymore. But, uh, yeah, he, we, about that kind of sneaking into stuff. And we, we, you know, I don't know how much your parents knew. They drive, they have to drive us to Wells <laughs> and pick us up and we pretended we were going swimming or something. And then we'd go to the cinema and we watched like a soft porn film called The Other Cinderella, which was on with uh, Kentucky Fried Movie, which was the guys who did Airplane. That was their first film. Oh, no, I've now just got this image of you sat in the cinema on Wells in your trunks with a yeah. rubber hat on, <laughs> just in case your mum and dad suddenly turn up and you go, well, we got lost because the door, the door from the swimming pool leads to screen two. But I'm we sure, didn't know. I'm sure all of those cinemas were just, full, you know, they let, they'd let us through without, I remember going through and we put Phil Fry last, who was the oldest, but he looked the youngest, and she let all of us through and said, oh, no, you're not, you're not. 18 or whatever and he said we went he is he is he is he is in a very modified <laughs> way and um, they let us they went alright if, That's so if you other guys you were 18 you clearly 18 year old guys so you know they just they, they didn't care so they let you, the, the, the cinemas would let you in and didn't have to really properly check in those days so we uh, yeah so we saw oh, we did see Life of Brian eventually but uh, yeah those books were so good and I remember being so disappointed by some of I mean I think not the general election I think was a ver- was very much like a a book of Mel Smith in funny pictures of him in funny wigs. Well, those, those books, things like How to Be a Complete Bastard, yeah. which of course I had, yeah. which was Mike Lapine and, and another Mike Lee. It yeah. wasn't, uh, <laughs> you know, Mike Lapine, what are you doing? Well, I'm doing the typing and Mike Lee over there is improvising pictures <laughs> of Adrian Edmondson doing faces. But but yeah, again, it was mainly a photo shoot yeah. with some words uh, attached. And then there was a, I think, was it Pamela Stevenson did one called How to Be a Complete Bitch, That's which right, was kind yeah, of a yeah. follow-up. The, uh, so you either bought them or you ended up getting given them at Christmas by relatives who yeah. didn't quite get that you didn't like that particular thing. There was some, you know, but there was some, Monty Python did some good ones. There was that Terry Jones one about the f- Professor Fegg or something. Or oh, yeah. Was, uh, uh, was Douglas Adams involved in Yeah, I think maybe, well. yeah. So there were some very imaginative ones and the Monty Python books, the good ones were really good. So th- things like the scripts of Life of Brian and Holy Grail had loads of extra material, all the stuff that was cut. So those were like DVD extras before DVDs, you know, it was so, yeah. as a the comedy fan, ending. it was so, yeah. Well, yeah, it had they had definitely had like extra. I think they had the first draft of Holy Grail was all set in the modern day, and someone going around Harrods buying, trying to buy a Grail, and there was a, there was a great sketch about an ant counter. I seem to remember where there were people disappearing. It was a very Monty Python shop where men behaved weirdly. I can't quite remember it now, but that so you had all these extra scripts in there, which was just so exciting. I think the Life of Brian one had all their the, Michael Palin's diary of going to Barbados to write. Um, what else? So when you're uh, not writing books or doing yes. podcasts, yes. Uh, do you do anything else? Do you ever? Do you still read? <laughs> I've, I'm, since we've had kids, I've really found it difficult to get the energy to read. I'm so you know just so tired all the time. And so at the beginning of this year, I thought, right, you know, I was feeding my son on the bed. I thought, while I'm doing this, I can start. I started reading the uh, the book about the the court of the Red Czar, the Stalin book, because I'd, I'd seen. Uh, uh, Armando's film about it. I thought, well, this Death is, I'd, you know, I'd like to see more. I'd like to know more about this. I did study it a little bit, and I got about two hundred pages into that book, and then was too tired to. That's carry. not bad. <laughs> I thought it'd take five pages. No, no, I got, well, I did it for I did it for a few days, and then I thought, ah, oh, I could do this every day, and then I'm just too tired. Mm. And so sometimes with the podcast, like so the person's written a book, and so I try to read as much of it as I can, but it's often just on the day or the day before because there's just you know. There's, I don't. It's, it's a thing that slipped away, and we've started just watching a lot of telly, 
more than we used to really so like if we're relaxing we've moved out to the countryside there isn't all that much to do you can go to the pub you can get drunk or you can watch telly and we don't really sit beside each other and go, should we should we read should we just read a book <laughs> which is you know you might as well because even if you're enjoying a tv show together you're sort of not really interacting are you so i want to read more and, and, and i you know I, occasionally i will come across something and go, oh i've got to get back more into reading again but i used to just read on holiday i mainly read on holidays i'm when i'm working i find it quite hard to concentrate enough on any on something else because you're always sort of a bit preoccupied with what you're doing. So when I go on holiday, I would read like a book a day, basically. Yeah. But then, you know, we don't go on... Well, now if we're doing on holiday, you're looking after children still, so it's, not, it's no longer a holiday. So I've, I haven't found... You know, I have lost that... I've, I've lost that a little bit. But yeah, so I had, I had Jonathan Ames on my podcast at the beginning of this series, who's like one of my absolute writing heroes. So I kind of tried to kind of... But I've read all his books, but, you know, I tried to... He wrote to, Bored to Death, did he? He did, yeah. Show. But he but he wrote these fantastic... Well, Stuart got me into him. Stuart gave me two of his books as a present, and I thought, oh, Stuart likes these. I won't read these. And then, <laughs> and then I kind of picked them up and read them, and, he, and it was just... It was sort of pre-blogs, really, that he was writing. He was writing very intimate, very honest newspaper columns, which were put together in the first two or three. But he's, write, he's written novels as well. And actually, his novels are, are predates um, one of his... The novel he's reprinted predates all this, I think. What, but, which uh, would you most recommend um, to I our just, listeners? I think... Um, I'm just trying to think what they're called. Uh, I mean, any of those collections of, of, of his articles are really a great place to start. There's one called What's Not to Love. I mean, if you look them up... Um, that you will find them. I don't know what order they come in, but I would read those in the order that they do them. But they're beautiful. They're real. It's what what's in. He's just got that. I mean, slightly Kurt Vonnegut thing as well. Which I, and Kurt Vonnegut's like just one of my all time heroes. Just of the humanity and in it, the honesty and the humanity and sort of being able to weave the disgusting with the with the beautiful. So he's yeah. you know they they're funny, which I don't think many not there aren't many really great sort of serious writers who can properly make you laugh. You know what I mean? There's, yeah. They're, and a funny novel or a funny play. As a comedian, you go to it and go, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, we actually do have laughs all yeah. the way through. And, you know, there's a sort of snootiness about being funny. That's, you know, that's why I think with Kurt Vonnegut is there's this snootiness towards Kurt Vonnegut, who I just think is one of the genius writers of yes. the 20th century. Um, and because he does sci-fi and because he does jokes, it's like, yeah, you know, but you're not like, you know, us guys in the Cheltenham <laughs> Literature Festival sing they're not talking to anyone because we're so clever. Uh, and it's actually much cleverer, you know, I think not, sure. and it's harder to write jokes. That's the truth of it. It's actually, they, those people couldn't write those seriously. They're not as good as us. They couldn't, they couldn't write saying. jokes. So they like say this, I generally <laughs> think so. I think they think, oh, it's, it devalues it if it's comedic because then it's not serious. But like, to be able to make a serious subject funny or to be able to make, you know, you, to engage people through comedy is the best way of changing minds, I think, as well, you know, so and, and, and educating people about stuff or what you think. So, you know, Ames is great at that. He's written two or three novels and bored to death and then there's various... Uh, there's a cartoon book as well, a graphic novel, I should say. No, uh, called comic the, books okay. fine. <laughs> the alcoholic, and he's written. I didn't get around to reading. He's written. A, he's written something that's been made into a film that's a more serious thing. So he, he did a lot of sort of pastiche. Well, bored to death is all that pastiche of yeah. the private detective, and I think he's written a, fa- a fairly serious private detective book. And he was obsessed with uh, Woodhouse, which is a good thing to be obsessed with. And he, one of his books is called Righto Jeeves, I think, something like that. So it's um, not it's not called Righto Jeeves, it's called Wake Up. No, I can't remember what it's called. It's got a character called Jeeves in it, and it's got Jeeves as, <laughs> Jeeves as a title in there somewhere. And, look, people uh, have access to the internet. Yeah, it wouldn't take it. them long. Just look at John of the Names on Wikipedia, you'll see it all. Um, but that's the problem. You know, I met him, and then I, it's, all, all my memory is from when I was reading 10 years ago, rather than that. But I read a bit of his book. Uh, I read... Um, uh, James O'Brien's book. That's the last book I read, which I pretty much managed to get through. It's quite that's quite easy to read, but 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 good um, 
detail about stuff and just very succinct chapters. It's a short book, but he kind of succinctly gets into all the issues of the day via his radio show. Yeah. Um, and it's, and sort of sums up the stupidity of the world fairly accurately. Uh, and, and some really interesting things like about that winter, Winterval or whatever it's it was. Oh, it? Yeah, all made winter, up. Well, yeah, yeah, just completely, just and actually made up by someone just trying to be nice and... It was leave, a, leave, yeah, the, leave totally the decorations up. Thing to Christmas. Yeah. It was an extension of yeah. It was yeah. Birmingham. But it's, it's all. What's the reason Nine Lessons and Carols show that we do every year yeah. exists? Because of sitting on a panel show with Nick Ferrari and Vanessa Feltz. And <laughs> I like Vanessa Feltz. From uh, okay, and uh, I just, can't help myself. It's fine. She confused the story that is in Love Actually with the reality oh, yes. involving <laughs> oh, a lobster. Yeah. There's there's a lot of you know and, and uh, yeah the, and Winterfall came up and it'd be yeah, ridiculous. But I was going to ask the Jonathan Ames thing. You're talking there about it, you know his his now grown up son and being unaware of yeah. something. That is. How do you feel in ter- when when you're writing or when you're putting on shows? Because like the the book that I've just written, the, there was a point, there's a cutoff point in a lot of chapters where I would go, and that's as much of the story that I can tell. Yeah. Because then there's a level of not necessarily collateral damage, but uh, it kind of becomes you know the possibility of that. Yeah. Because it involves other members of yeah. of of my family and like some of the stuff that I've written about has been interesting that now they've because you can't hide the fact you've well I mean perhaps you can hide the fact you've written a book but that's also going to be mean your sales have been well, disastrous it seems John Ames has managed to hide the fact that he's written these books I mean because that's that's interesting because it, he wrote them as articles at a time when articles would be throwaway and now obviously mm. no article is throwaway so yeah mm. you can find and he, all of his stuff is there to find if someone searches for it so that's and you know, and it's in a book you kind of think that's weird that he want, doesn't want that to go in the podcast because that's that's in the book so you think you think that would be yeah yeah you've got to be you know you've got to think of a little bit about it but then you also have to there's stuff obviously that i did before uh, about my life before having a family that obviously my kids are gonna maybe come across at some point it's it's sort of weird because like when my daughter was born i I tweeted and said referring to a joke i've done or you know my first piece of sexcrement has come out or whatever you know it was a joke about babies being sexcrement or children being sexcrement and then someone came back what is your daughter gonna say when she sees tweet (laughs) You've done. She will you know go, you. <laughs> you go, A, yeah, she'll know me. B, I hope I'll raise her to have a sense of humor and stuff. But C, you really think 18 years' time someone's going to find this? Week? I mean, maybe they will, but they, it sort of feels unlikely. But yeah, I think, and, and I slightly like I did a, an intro the other day to the podcast, which hasn't come out yet, but is about saying how you do have a favorite child. And yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all nonsense. I hate my son. He's an idiot. And my daughter's yeah. much more interesting. And then you kind of go, you know, if my son hears that when he's 12, you he might go, oh, no, you're not. I'm not. Um, but I hope again that I will raise them with a sense for you to understand that. Be you know, I, I, there's so much stuff. I've got so much stuff. I mean, how different? But my blog is now practically 16 years old. I think like it, by in a week, it's of this recording. It's 60. I've done it every day for 16 years. God. So and it's a it's a lot. I'm writing four books worth of podcast of uh, blogs a year. Someone keeps on sending me the word count, and it's you know I think this year I'm up to. Like, but do you have a feeling doing that where, because I used to write a blog post every day and then I thought, I really should save this up. And for because a lot of it will merely be 
you know, eviscerated because it will turn out to be too bland and boring. Yeah. You've got that, whatever his name is, Klaus Nausgaard bloke who writes the My Struggle books. That's... Is there a bit of you that goes, do you know what? Stop writing this fucking blog and start thinking about writing something <laughs> of, of a greater kind of permanency. You know, well, do... yeah, a little bit. I mean, I, but the interesting thing with it is I started writing. It's called Warming Up because I started writing when I was going through a massive period where I couldn't be asked to write anything or I just felt like I was wasting a lot of time. I read The Salmon of Doubt, Douglas Adams, that was shortly, I mean, it must have been shortly after Douglas Adams died that I was reading that book and was just thinking all the time he fucking wasted and all the genius stuff, like, you know, even this scraps of bits and pieces and articles is a fantastic book. If he'd sat down every day and not had this problem with writer's block that I was going a little bit through just because, I, you know, I've always been a bit of a deadline person, but also around that around time, so it's 2002 and I'd worked really hard writing for Al Murray. We'd done the, the sort of double act had died. I'd earned some money but I was also going, nobody knew anything about anything I'd ever done. And I was going, what's the point in writing all this stuff? So it was to sort of force myself to write something every day and the hope that actually if I got the brain ticking along, that would mean I did the, all the work that I was meant to be doing that I was sort of avoiding doing in a Douglas Adams way. Often, I, it's you know, you, that's not how it works. Often you think, oh, I've managed to write a blog, that'll do then. But I think, I don't, con- I don't count it as a finished article. I don't even think this is out in the world, so this is dead. I think I'm writing. I don't even really think anyone's reading it. Occasionally, I'll talk to someone and they, I'll try and tell them a story. They go, yeah, I know. I read your blog. Uh, See, that's <laughs> the danger. If you write a blog every single day, then every time you go to tell a story... Yeah, but then, then I that's... don't think it's that many people. So, I, th- I mean, A, I don't think that thing's true. You know, people say, oh, if I do my stand-up on TV, then it's blown forever. That's not true anymore. That's TV. That's that's No, but that's a different thousands. thing. It's one thing to go stand-up on TV, another to be in the pub yeah. and go, something rather funny happened to me today, and go, I've read it already. Yeah, but that's fine. If that happens, then I don't tell it again, or I tell it to yeah, people. Yeah, but that's who... where you go, I'm going to tell it better now <laughs> yeah. and but put that's more what details you do, in. Because you write, you know, so, like, and I wasn't doing stand-up when I started writing the blog. I was just doing it for, like, let's get stuff from, some stuff out there. I've, you know, that's what the podcast offered me. It's, I just was frustrated about not being able to get my ideas out there. And so being able to just publish them yourself, at least it's a start. I don't feel like, if it's a blog, I don't think that's the end of it. If it's a blog, I think, all right, if it's good, I'll turn it into a newspaper article, I'll turn it into a routine. I'll use it again and again in different ways. And I'll, you know, when I wrote How Not to Grow Up, which is the, about the year I turned 40, that blog was fucking incredible because there's all the stuff you forget. Even like two years later, you look back, oh, I don't, you know, and I'm not writing massively personal stuff in the blog. I'm very, I'm actually very careful about mentioning other people. Aside, I do mention my family a little bit, but um, I really think about whether they'll want to be mentioned or how I mention them, and I'll keep them anonymous if they're, if necessary. Or I won't, you know, I don't, I wasn't, when I was single, I wasn't writing about my relationships with people, partly because how can you do it? If you're printing it at them, you know, if it's going out the time, then that will influence events. So it's not like writing a diary, it's like writing something that's, Potentially, if you were dating someone, they could read it and go, oh, you, you don't like this then. So, um, so, but it was an amazing resource for that. And so, like, I was writing 10,000, you know, I, I wrote 10,000 words a day for about three or four days in a row because I had the blog. <laughs> so I was able to copy and paste it and then rewrite it. Um, and so that's how I got that book done. Um, and yeah, and so, and when, you know, I, there was routines in that I would never have thought this. I was, I started writing when I, what I didn't think I could do stand up and was, I was doing one man shows, but I didn't think they were stand up. And then there was a routine I wrote, a blog I wrote about buying yogurts in a supermarket and the woman saying someone likes yogurt and me kind of expanding on that a bit. And then, re- and then got lots and lots of emails about people going, oh, I love that. It's really funny. And you go, oh, okay. So maybe this, and it's not something I would have even thought of. I only, I remember sitting there racking my thing. What happened yesterday? Right. The day after, oh, I can't think of anything. Then I remembered that woman saying someone likes yogurt. And I thought, oh, I'll write about that. And, you know, I wrote a funny blog about it, but you, I would never have 
even countenance that as, as stand-up material or material if I hadn't been forced to write that blog. So you're creating this stuff. If you write, you know, I, when I'm writing stand-up shows, if I've written one good blog a month, I've got 12 blogs to choose from as potential routines, mm-hmm. which is more routines than you need in a, certainly an hour show. Um, so also, what I love about stand-up is the equivalence between a thing which is just a really whimsical reverie about yoghurt and something you've researched for like six months yeah, yeah. and really, really <laughs> thought about and both of them will probably end up being the same length of time in the show <laughs> yeah, yeah. and both of them will probably end up being like the best laughs yeah. and one of them you're basically just hitting yourself in the forehead. Yeah. And but you know, sometimes on stage you just come up with something brilliant yeah. that you could have sat down to try and work for months and months or weeks and weeks. You're trying to write something and then just in that white hot moment you just hit the yes. perfect way of doing it and you improvise a five-minute routine that you basically then remember and adapt over the next few performances yeah. and it becomes a routine. And that sometimes... Sometimes you write a blog and nothing happens and sometimes you write a blog and then bang, suddenly this thing appears. So you're sort of creating that... that, that you know, is that heat of being in, in creative mode where it feels like it's not even you doing it, you know, where, where you're sort of surprising yourself. So the blog's been incredible and there's loads of times I've wanted to not do it. And it's insane because I'm literally, I'm not even going, I'm going to do this five days a week. I'm doing it every day, Christmas Day, holidays. And you've never missed a day. I've never missed a day. Sometimes I'd catch up two days or three days. But if you leave, if I leave it longer than two days now, I would not be able to remember, especially now because every day's exactly the fucking same. <laughs> so there's no way I could, you know, it's difficult. And having kids, it's difficult. But I, but I also, you, you're freeing yourself up. You're going, I'm just going to write about something that happened to me. This might not interest you. It might not interest me. It might be boring. It might be a repetitive thing about my kids again. Yeah. Um, but you are just giving yourself the opportunity every day to create a new thing. And, you know, I, I think when I started, I thought, oh, well, I'll bring people to the website every day and they might see what gigs I'm doing. But all, all this stuff I've done over the last, well, 16 years has been just having... I had to start again, really, to build an audience. I, we weren't getting... Even with Lee and Heron, we weren't when we toured live, we got not that many people coming to see us. And I think both of us, when we toured solo... We got basically no one coming to see us. It wasn't like the TV. And then a few years later, it felt like the TV stuff paid off because all those 12 roles who watched us in the 1990s were now old enough to go out. But, um, you know, you, but we, were still, we, weren't, we weren't able to rest in our laurels. We both had to. Yeah. And I had to start again more than Stu because Stu was, A, working all the time as a stand-up anyway. Also, Stu had me as support, which he, really bolstered he the did. numbers. And he, well, no, but his character was sort of established in and out of the double act. You know, it was the same character. Uh, but so uh, my character was really wedded to the double act and didn't really work as uh, uh, and wasn't really me uh, and didn't really work outside. So of that's the double a act. massive shift for you. Yeah, yeah. So I had to and I didn't like the idea of solo stuff. I convinced myself I could only I'd had like really bad experiences in Edinburgh with the Oxford Review and stuff. And I didn't. And, that's normal for the Oxford yeah, Review. Yeah, but it, really, I think we had the worst ever. Right. So we got bullied and, and, and it felt like stand ups hated you know i had a real mental block with stand-ups themselves because i felt everywhere um but uh yeah so i had like a psychological block there's maybe as much of it came from me as from anywhere else but it was a horrible thing to happen as a teen as like a 19 yeah. 20 year old to and and then all the people you were thinking like this is the job i want and they hate me yeah. and it's you know i'm blaming you which i can understand them going oh but the look at the past you go yeah but you don't blame you know, an individual person for that. Certainly not someone who's now in the Oxford View in 1987 where nothing's going to fucking happen to him. If it, if it was 20, review, no, it was Yeah, it was like, tw- you know, Angus Deaton was probably the last person to come out of the Oxford View before me, or, you know, Rowan Atkinson. It's a long time ago. Mm. 
It's really that that bit of the power game because I remember because I I like when I very first started I started quite strongly and then went horribly downhill quite quickly, and uh, one of the things was I was touring around with for a little bit on the comedy network with Boothby Graffo. Yeah, and Boothby Graffo played mind games with me. I was a kid; he was older than me, and uh, it really that was the end what of for about two. Just just you know the the he just did subtle little things to say you're shit, so that by the time you get on stage that night you yeah. are shit. Yeah, yeah. And, does, and that is, uh, I have no animosity to him now, but at the time, weirdly enough, though, if I am on a bill with him, it's highly likely it will all go downhill immediately. <laughs> Some kind of recall comes out. But all of those little games that get played, yeah. and, and then you find out this because everyone is so panicked a lot of yeah, Sometimes people are just cruel as yeah. well. But yeah, it, it's amazing because I, I think that led to me be going down for about four or five years. Well, so I started off, was... came second in So You Think yeah. You're Funny, and then places that booked me for 10, then booked me for 20, then put me back to 10, <laughs> then I'll return to doing open spots, yeah. you know. Well, no, oh. and I had, you know, I had a rocky time. Stu, Stu kind of took off completely as a stand-up straight away. And so that was, you know, there's a weird power dynamic in the whole thing. And I think that's all very interesting that if, he, if he'd done that, because he's so obsessed with sort of, you know, Moby Dick style revenge. I think if Stu had gone through what I went through that, he would never have done stand-up again. Do you but, think if you'd have chosen me as your support act yeah. on your first tour, you'd have had a better... I've never had a support run of, act. I see. Do you think that's where you're going be. wrong is it not could being... Be. <laughs> getting people who are better than you to come in and, oh, <laughs> and no. warm the audience up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, all that's been interesting. So then, you know, but so the, the blog was massively helpful in regaining confidence and then, and then obviously, you know, it went back and realised how ridiculous... You know, I sort of... You, I was still slightly holding on to that idea that I could only work with other people mm. and... And so, and I think it was a very, very good thing for both of us that the double act stopped, and it didn't. It only stopped out of you know, no one giving us any work. It wasn't our Absolutely. decision, but I think it would have stopped. I think we might have done, got another series, but um, if we, I think we might have done another series, but I don't think we'd have done much more. Well, we've run out of time. Have we? Okay. Yep. Oh, and you've got to now prepare. What would you like to I was say? Just to say, it's very exciting to start a whole new creative voice. Yeah. At that point. That's yeah. all I was going to say. And, and you know, it is. And, and shut the, up! No, and and the the internet, thing. The internet coming final out. Word. With, uh, shut <laughs> up. Shut the, up. The internet Shut up. Put it in your blog. Put it in your fucking <laughs> okay, blog. What were you going to say? Oh, God. What were you going to say? I'll say the internet. No, we finished. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, there was Rich Terry with his final words, the internet. <laughs> uh, Rich, obviously. This goes on the internet. Oh, no. <laughs> the, uh, um, thanks thanks very much. No, yeah, sorry, we, there was a lot of... I apologise to listeners, by the way. We talked to, over each other a lot in the first kind of section because I think we were all we're all a little bit tired. We're all a bit excited. We all had a lot of coffee at the same time and that led to a lot of mixed emotions. But anyway, thanks very much to <laughs> Richard, the internet herring, uh, who uh, has his new book out. Also, w- who... if you look behind you, you'll see my sleeping child oh, my through the window. There we go. So if anyone oh. listening would like to imagine what uh, Josie's sleeping child looks like, you've been given there the hint oh, for that. What a uh, thanks very much for listening <laughs> and being. thanks for the support. <laughs> and bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Do check out CosmicShambles.com for all the blogs and documentaries and videos and other podcasts that you could ever require. A new episode of Science Shambles went out this week as well. Robin chatting to Dr. Helen Chersky and Dr. Sammy Buzzard about sea ice and climate change. Uh, Looking forward to how we should really care about the planet a little bit more in 2019. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the show. Have a great week and we'll be back next Thursday. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.